If you haven't heard by now, underdog fantasy is the best and easiest place to play fantasy football this summer. We've all been there in fantasy football leagues. It's Sunday morning and you're digging through news reports, trying to figure out whether to start your stud wide receiver that tweaked his hamstring last week, or you have a player on your team who isn't getting in the end zone. And one week he suddenly goes off for 30 points on your bench. With underdog fantasy, all the stress of who to start each week is lifted off your shoulders because it's best ball format. Draft your teams before the season starts and get the best score in your lineup each week. Right now, you can draft an underdog's best ball mania three tournament to take your shot at $10 million in total prizes. Plus, underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with promo code PFF. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. Underdog drafts close before NFL kickoff, so what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, play $10 with code PFF, and draft your best ball mania team today. Welcome, everyone, to a special Friday edition of the pod. I have Rob Pozzola, professional sports better, co-founder of BetStamp, also co-host of the Circles Off podcast. Rob pulled a classic boomer move on me uh, on Wednesday when I was going to interview him, and we couldn't get the connection going straight. So how are we doing today? Do we need technical, technical difficulties? Or are we at a minimum, I hope? I hope we're okay. I'm in my home office, home studio today, plugged directly in. No Wi-Fi issues, hopefully. So I think we're good to go today, fingers crossed. Okay. Okay. Good. We need to call in tech support at, at some time. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there, but I wanted to have Rob on here. As you know, I like to think I have a very high bar, high criteria for who I like to bring on the pod. Rob is someone who I like to listen to his podcast. I like to catch him anytime I hear him make an appearance on another podcast. And he's someone who has an analytical bent to what he does, but doesn't go strictly by the model. He's not one of these guys that has, you know, the the, the output is spit out and couldn't name for you the uh, starting quarterback for some of the teams that end up coming out there, like like you could see for some people out there. So I wanted to have him on to go over who he likes this season, who he doesn't like, but then also talk about some of his ventures. So maybe I'll start first, Rob. We're talking about professional sports betters, and I think this is going to lead into the work that you're doing with BetStamp. But what do you consider to be a professional sports better? Is it someone who makes enough from it to live off of it? Or is it someone who really does this as their primary job? Yeah. I mean, listen, there, there's no one strict definition for it. The way I interpret the word professional is someone who's engaged in a specific activity as a pay, like their main form of occupation where they get paid the most money. So it's not a pastime or a hobby to them. So that's kind of how I would view a professional sports better. Someone who is acquiring the majority of their income from actually wagering on sports. And how many, how many people do you think really exist in this category? Cause obviously we, we don't see a lot of people who probably fall into this category. We do see a lot of people who probably claim to be in this category, but might not really, <laughs> you know, might not really be able to live off of it. So, how big of a subset do you think this is of of the population? And is it something where we're only really considering, obviously, guys who are going to be plus EV advantage types of players here? 
I would say that the subset is probably larger than people recognize or believe. So I come from more of a non-traditional background in that when I got into media, uh, which was my first job at a university, I was a losing sports better. Um, so I was talking about betting on sports, sports gambling, so on and so forth, while actually being a losing sports better. And then over time, I just naturally started refining processes and developed the ability to win um, just by changing you know, certain methods and so on and so forth. And I now live behind a public persona because I started that more than a decade ago. Whereas there are a lot of people, you know, if I, if I could redo this or relive this, I probably wouldn't be public facing. Uh, probably most of the stuff I would do is behind the scenes, but now I, I've been able to monetize my following, um, involved in other ventures, other companies, so on and so forth, where it's advantageous for me to be a public figure. So I do think that there's a lot of people out there that just like to lay low. Um, I, honestly, true story. There's someone who lives directly across the street from me, who I've lived across the street from for five years, who's actually a pro sports better, um, who I ended up being at his house and we we're just having drinks and I'm just kind of talking about what I do. And he's just like, follow me for a second and brought me up to his office, pure setup and so on and so forth. And I, I would have never known it. He didn't tell me something different as his occupation for years. So um, I, I do think there is a large subset of people that just don't, I, I don't think it's necessarily the taboo associated with sports betting. It's just that most pros do like to lay low, do their own thing type of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I do think, especially nowadays, access to information is much easier. I think that the average better is starting to get smarter. Um, I do think that there's more people flying under the radar than we realize. Well, what do you think about, I don't know if it's necessarily a trend. Maybe it's just because of social media allows people to get out there a little bit more. But, you know, mutual friend of ours, like Rufus Peabody is out there. He has a podcast. He's kind of become a more of a, of a public figure. We've even seen... Uh, Spanky, as you as you know, um, I actually forget what his what his real name is here, but I met him at Sloat a couple of years ago. He's become a little bit more of a public figure, and I would wonder, like, is there any potential benefit to someone who is an advantage player to be a public figure, or do you think a lot of people just want to scratch the itch of? you know, getting their face out there, getting their opinion out there, having that sort of feedback rather than sitting behind, you know, in a, in a dark room behind all of their screens. And while the little digits on the screen may be going up, you may be making money. And maybe it's not as satisfying as being able to get out there and share your opinions on things. I think everybody shares their, uh, their own like specific motivations for why they do things. I do think you're seeing more people like Spanky, Rufus, even, you know, I won't name names, but others who are coming into the limelight in the forefront now. Um, partly because they just want the recognition for one. I'm not saying that for everyone, but uh, that's part of it. And the second thing is, honestly, it's to collect accounts. Uh, I mean, I'll just call it out for what it is. One of the challenges when you become a winning sports better is liquidity. You always face liquidity challenges because um, you can be really good at something. Sportsbooks catch on and they say, uh, we don't want you betting this much anymore. And then all of a sudden it doesn't become worthwhile. So by bringing yourself into the forefront, um, people start recognizing what you do. You're good putting yourself out there. You do. And I get this honestly on a weekly basis. People reach out to me via Twitter DM saying, Hey, I'd love to work with you on some capacity. I have these accounts that you can bet into. So I think that that's definitely one of the primary motivations for people nowadays in leveraging social media to build relationships, uh, get more liquidity, find other partners that they can work alongside of. Um, I'm not a proficient coder. I have aligned myself with proficient coders through Twitter 
that are able to automate a lot of the stuff that I do in Excel. So there's this, all these advantages to getting yourself out there that, um, you know, you might not get that same recognition if you're hiding behind an alias. Okay. And what's, what's the downside? Cause there has to be a, a cost associated with this too. What do you think the downside is? I mean, you even said that you might not, if you were going to do it all over again, you wouldn't be public facing. So what's, what's the downside? For me personally, everything I say publicly has some sort of influence. And in a lot of cases, a direct influence on the market. So for example, I do the matchbook sports betting podcast every Thursday during football season. I will literally be talking about a game with the screen in front of me, and I will see the market move when I say that I like a game. So if I know that that's the case, I know that I, if I'm going to talk about a game, I now have to fill my position earlier on that. Uh, I never want to put myself out there and publicly mislead people or talk about a game and say, I don't have an opinion when I actually do. That just bothers me as a person, but putting myself out there in the, in the limelight, it does allow for people to garner information. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not of the mentality that someone's going to be able to reverse engineer what I'm doing, but people can pick up on things. Um, just another example, but I do get some liquidity betting the NFL from just betting directly with other people that I know. Um, why would I place a bet at minus 110 with a sports book when I know somebody else might like the other side and we can just mutually bet with one another? It's very easy for them to know what I like if they listen to the media that I do over the course of a week. Um, it's very easy for them to front run that stuff, affect, manipulate the market so that they're getting a better number when they come to cross with me, so on and so forth. So it just adds an element of complexity to the situation that is a headache. Uh, that's why I prefer doing the Sunday morning show that I do. It's actually not that useful for anyone to listen on Sunday mornings and go out and bet because the market is the market very challenging to beat at that time. But my information or what I say can't be used against me at that time. So it's a balancing act. Um, but I do have to be especially cautious of every single thing that I say and what the direct impact is of everything that I put out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's also as part of that balancing act, I don't know if you, you'd agree with this, but like the difficulty that a sports better has being able to beat the market and then you add to it, if you're already getting your positions down and then you're talking to the public later, most likely the number that they're getting at it may be a little bit off people's understanding of how important it is or whether or not they should bet it or not. If it's moved, you know, half a point, depending upon what the half point may be, is going to make it that much thinner. And I think about it in some ways, in a similar way to some friends of mine um, who I know are really smart guys and we're touting things like different types of NFTs and other things where if you if certain people would have followed their advice exactly to the T the moment that they suggested something, they probably would have been profitable today. But the problem is like you kind of know from the psychology of the market that people aren't going to do that. So therefore, if you put that advice out there, people may be net negative following your advice. How does that fall into this whole uh, equation of the costs and benefits? Yeah, it's challenging. I, I mean, it depends on the morals of the person as well. For me, I just have a fundamental problem with telling somebody I like this, but it's not really actionable information or it's not valuable at that moment. I've really tried to get myself out of the habit of saying, I bet this at this number, uh, but I would no longer bet it now because the, the vast majority of people are still going to go and bet it anyways. Right. And, and I, I get that through my DMs. In Twitter, on Twitter all the time where I'll get somebody who, who thanks me or, you know, 
thanks for the, the Cowboys pick or whatever. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like I said, not to bet the Cowboys. I'll be like, I could tell by the way you were speaking that you had already bet them. So, you know, uh, it, it, it actually weighs on me a little bit to be completely honest with you, because I do know that the, I, I have built up a following, a very engaged following. Let's put it that way, where a large majority of people who do follow me and tune into my content view everything I say as actionable. I'm going to go out and bet this because Pizzola said this, or I'm no longer going to bet what I thought because Pizzola likes the other side or, or so on and so forth. It adds like a, a little bit of a, an element of pressure to it. But I think that's just me naturally. I'm more of an anxious guy. I think about how things will affect other people, maybe a lot more so than others who just will go out and they'll say things and don't really understand the consequences of everything that they're, they're putting out to the general public. So uh, it's tough. I mean, it's tough to to maintain both. It really is. If it were up to my betting partners, I would never do a piece of media ever again. I would be unhappy if that were the case. I, I love talking about sports. It's my, it's a bigger passion for me than actually betting on sports. If I could choose to have just a media career where I make a fifth of the money versus a pro betting career, it would be very a very tough decision for me um, at this point in my life. So uh, I, I, I know I'm, I'm constantly balancing and weighing all these things, but, uh, trying, just trying to make things as clear as possible and no, um, n- nothing where somebody has to decipher anything anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very easy and maybe, you know, psychologically just to have a buyer beware kind of caveat emptor sort of attitude about things and just not not taking responsibility. But yeah, it's definitely something that that I would think about in that area. Well, let's talk about bet stamp then, because you came prepared. You have the bet stamp shirt on. So I appreciate that. So you're 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 ready. You're you're ready to to have the, the advertising there. But I think it's an interesting concept. Why don't you give me like the elevator pitch on bet stamp and then we can talk about how betters can use it and how it fits into the ecosystem that we're seeing here. A lot more public facing people out there giving picks and recommendations as betting becomes a bigger thing in the U S of a essentially very simply BetStamp is a sports betting utility app and a, and a desktop site is a website now as well. That's intended to streamline your betting process. Um, there's a lot of things that are going on within it and a lot of smaller features, but at its core, it is a odds comparison tool because I feel that that's extremely valuable in the space. And it's one of the, fundamentals that I had to learn before I became a successful better. Um, so at its core, we'd like to kind of call it the Expedia of sports betting, the Trivago of sports betting, something like that, where before you to go place a bet at any of your sports books, you would open up that stamp, find where the best available line is, and then go place your bet afterwards. And I, you know, one thing that I, from an educational side of things, I think that the vast majority of the general public, when it comes to betting, they don't love to consume educational material. Uh, but I do think that it's very important to preach the value of price sensitivity in the sports betting space. And people live it in their day-to-day lives, right? I mean, I, I use this example over and over on, on every podcast that I do nowadays because it's just very topical. But the price of gas over the past year has skyrocketed. And when people go to fill up their tanks... You know, if you were to see a gas station on one corner of the intersection, that's much cheaper than the other corner of the intersection. It's very likely you're going to fill up at the gas station that's offering you the cheaper gas, save yourself five, 10 bucks on your full tank or whatever. But for some reason or another, this concept is lost on most sports bettors. They typically just gravitate to one sports book, place all their bets there, not realizing that 
they can win more if they're line shopping or if they're going to lose, frankly, they can lose less, which is also also very valuable in the long run. So Bet Stamp at its core is a great line shopping tool. There are other features in there for people who want to track their own bets, analyze their own bets, for people who just want to tail other people's bets and find people who are long-term winning bettors. You can do that in the marketplace as well. But uh, I do think that it has something for every type of better. Yeah, you know, I remember reading the I don't, i'm not i think you probably know um ed miller and matthew david they wrote a book yep. called the logic of sports betting a few years ago i read it and i thought one of the more interesting things that i kind of knew but maybe it didn't sink in to the degree until i had read this book was this concept of maybe your 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 workflow let's call it as you're as you're going through a betting rather than like identifying the team who you think is potentially undervalued because of some some case, then going and looking and finding the best price and then going and betting. They were saying, why not, you know, look at it a different way, say, find a price which is off market, then l- try to see those off market prices, then look to see if you like any of those off market prices and then bet them because just locking in the fact that it's off market in and of itself puts it in a in a, in a pool that makes it more profitable likely for you. I guess my... My thing is, and you know, as someone who like communicates these things, that's a that's a lot less compelling way of communicating an idea than talking about the team and why you like this particular team, this particular week, this particular matchup. Yeah, I, like I, I'll I'll say this out, you know, and I don't mean to be arrogant or or conceited or whatever, but there's a lot of people who are going to spend an hour or two every day handicapping games. That's completely worthless hour or two. That they're just completely wasting time putting, you know thinking that they have something, some sort of process that works for them or is going to help them beat the sport when in reality it's taking them nowhere. And they'd much be much better off just opening up an odd screen and putting all the sharp books on one side and seeing what the, you know, that the actual price should be, and then just picking off other prices elsewhere. Now it's hard to sustain that in the long run because you are going to get limited at sports books. You'll have to have new accounts. You'll constantly have to be replenishing accounts, but that person who's spending an hour or two a day handicapping, thinking that they're doing something is very likely not doing something that is able to overcome the VIG um, or is going to beat other bettors that are betting into the same market as them. So, you know, I, I, I've, I've preached this with my friends and I've at least been able to convert a couple of them to each their own. There are some people who just enjoy it. They like to spend an hour going through box scores and stats and stuff like that and feeling like they are contributing to their success or demise in some way or another personally i just think time is so valuable which is why i personally love bet stamp i use it on a daily basis because you know i don't know that i would necessarily line shop if i had to go open up 20 different sports books on my own and go sports book to sports book to sports book but when something automatically does the work for you it's saving you literally minutes of time sometimes hours over the course of a day it's much easier it's just very tough with the average the, the average sports fan for some reason or another there's like an ego associated with them every sports fan feels i want to say every but a majority of them feel like they know better than everyone else right. i watch this i know better i fell into that same trap when i was in my early 20s it's why i lost so much money betting on sports because you're like i'm, I'm watching all these games every day i know the players i know this like i should be able to win the reality is, unless you can more accurately assign a probability of an outcome to a game than everyone else, you're not going to win. But people don't want to. People don't want to view sports betting as a math problem. 
average person doesn't want to view it as a math problem. It would completely turn them off from it. So they just naturally gravitate to the stuff that they think is going to work. It's, it's just like this cycle of lying to yourself really over and over because these people must recognize that they're losing, but they want to feel like they have some sort of input. Maybe that's more valuable to them than just picking off stale odds and, and having like a monotonous process to each their own completely fine. But I personally don't get it. I, th I think that there's just like such a foolproof way to win nowadays. Um, if you don't even know what you're doing, like I, I could train my wife on how to bet sports and she'll be a profitable sports better by the end of the week. Um, and, and there's going to be people that go their entire lifetime without being ever reaching that plus EV point. And it's just so easy, but I, I've never really been able to, to capture or understand why the average person does not want to go down that path of, um, of making money. I, I, and I, I just always come back to, I think there's a, an ego associated with sports fans where they just think that they can, they can pick the games because they watch the games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there is like this, uh, you know, kind of like barbershop mentality where you want to be in there and giving your, your opinions and your takes and not worrying about all those other stuff. But, you know, I guess this is always this, this, again, this push pull between, are people betting sports to make money or are they betting sports to be entertained? Now, sometimes that can also be a way to alleviate some responsibility and guilt on the part of people who are touting is to say, well, people are in it just to have fun anyway. And what's more fun, picking off stale lines or having a great opinion on a team who ends up winning? I, yeah. So like that, that's kind of an extreme, right? So here, here's my whole view on this situation. And obviously everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I bet I've basically been betting on sports since I was 15 years old. Uh, so I'm going on, on two decades now of betting on sports. And for the majority of my sports betting career, I was a losing better. So I haven't really developed into a winning better until maybe six years ago, five or six years ago. And the reality is a lot of people say, ah, I'm just doing this for entertainment. Like, I just want to make it more interesting. Is it really entertaining when you're constantly losing money? And that's what I ask myself. Like, yeah, you want to do it for entertainment, but the, the fun you get out of sports betting is when you win your bets. Like if you, if you're sitting on a Sunday when uh, NFL Sunday and you go, you know, three and eight in the, in the one o'clock games, you're going to be miserable. Like, you're not gonna be like, oh, that was really entertaining one o'clock. You're going to be thinking about the money you lost and you're probably going to be thinking about how you're going to get it back at four o'clock and then how you're going to get it back at eight 30 or whatever. But th that to me is not a form of entertainment. What I would say is there's a happy medium, right? N you don't have to, you don't have to just jump in and become a winning better, start picking off stale lines, use an odd screen or whatever. But let's say you want to go through your own handicapping process on a weekly basis or whatever. You want to make the bets that you feel you're comfortable with. As long as you, line shop and bet as, as at as many books as is feasible with your own bankroll, you're really cutting down the edge that the bookmaker has, right? Because if you're betting at one sports book, you're betting minus 110 pretty much exclusively where you have to win at, you know, you have to 52 and a half percent in order to be profitable. Okay. Now, if I'm shopping 10 different books, I'm probably cutting that vig in half by it, cutting that vig in half or by more than that. Like you're going to start finding lines that are minus 102, minus 103. So you're really bringing down that threshold that you need to win. But on top of that, you're losing less when you lose. So I think that prolongs it. So like if you're an average sports better, you don't have an edge. You're willing to lose like a little bit of money over a long period of time. Really just shop the line and just bet it at the best sports book. And you're going to be fine. Like you're not going to get go down the path of, 
of complete, you know, losing everything. It's, it's just so much more difficult to lose in the long run that way or lose large amounts. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that, that, that probably also feeds into, you know, people who are legitimately have a problem with their sports betting. Uh, part of that problem is they're, they're betting too much. And another part of the problem is they're, they're losing too often. Right. So I guess if you could cut down on half of that equation, maybe that also uh, can help at least mitigate, mitigate some of that. Um, l- let's talk about the tracking that you do, because I think that's also a unique thing there. How does it work as far as seeing, plays that people have made is this something where people are proactively coming to you and logging what they're doing are you out there tracking other people and is is that something that's popular people people looking at that or uh, are people really into just making their own decisions right um so i will say the one thing about betstamp is that the app usage so like typically I come from a product background as well. I, I worked on the scores enterprise app for many years and you would come up with these personas of like, okay, you have this like power user loves all sports. You have the guy who just, uh, you know, follows his own city's team, all the Toronto sports teams. You have the better, you have this and whatever. The bet stamp personas would be so like, there's so many of them because people interact with our app in so many different ways. At least that's what we found. Um, so the tracking component is heavily utilized. A lot of people just choose to go private instead of public. So a lot of people, what we notice are um, privately tracking their own results. They don't want to publish them publicly, let other people see them. It's perfectly fine. I think they're probably just doing it for their own process. They want to see where they're winning, where they're losing. I think that's a great way to do it. When we were originally building up that stamp and like, you know, adding all these features on top of it, we did have this vision for it to be like the source of the truth for for anyone out there. And we're still kind of working towards that. Um, There's obviously some inherent challenges with bringing people over to the platform. One of them is that there's a lot of people who know that they lose and they don't want people to publicly know that they lose. They talk about sports on a daily basis. They give out picks. They feel it like it would harm their brand. In my opinion, it's the complete opposite. I think it would help their brand if they were more transparent and they were more upfront with, I'm just an average person. That's just my opinion on that. But we have a team that does a lot of outreach to all sorts of people in the space, whether they're media personalities, uh, whether they sell picks for a living, whether they just post picks to their Twitter profile, where we kind of give them the pitch on why they should use Betstamp to bring their stuff over to Betstamp. At one point, we were going to create like what we call the blacklist of people who denied our request for reasons that we considered to be invalid. So these would be people that I would generally avoid buying picks from or so on. We didn't go down that path, still possible. But in terms of the media personalities, some of them track their own stuff. We do have a team that tracks other people as well. Uh, Oftentimes we get people like, oh, you know, why are you tracking these media personalities? So on and so forth, because people are interested in it. That's the exact reason. If people weren't visiting those pages and looking at how other people were doing, we wouldn't track them. But there is an element to keeping people honest as well. Uh, And I've always been very adamant about that. I track all the picks I give out publicly. I do my Sunday morning video leading up to NFL season where I don't even expect to win. I start every video with the fact that I don't expect to win and I still track those picks publicly because I think it's fair for people to see them. So um, the last thing I'll say is a long-winded answer. A lot of things we do. The one, one of the things that separates us and why I thought we would be the source of the truth when it comes to tracking is we do have um, the way our app is built and with our direct integrations with many sports books, we can verify a line in real time. 
So for example, what we see a lot in the betting space is people posting numbers or saying they bet something that didn't exist or no longer exists. Um, for us, when somebody tracks a bet in Betstamp, say they're, I'm just going to throw out a random example, Rams minus three and a half, minus 110, DraftKings. They track that. What our app will do is automatically go to DraftKings. If that line exists at the time that they tracked it, we'll verify that wager. So there's a verified symbol and someone can build up a verified record showing that those lines actually did exist in real time. And that's what we're kind of working towards is like, let's just clean up the space a little bit. No more, you know, sprinkle on this, sprinkle on that. Like, let's let, don't leave it open to interpretation for people. And also let's try not like, what are you getting from telling someone to go bet plus four and the entire market is plus three? Like it's, you're not providing actionable information. And honestly, it just makes you look unprofessional in it anyway. So we're just really trying to clean that up as best we can. Now, I assume the reason why someone is would do that is simply so that their their record as they're as they're, as they're tracking it ends up looking better at, at the end of the year. Now, you have you know you, you, sometimes there in the Circles Off podcast, you were kind of calling out uh, a I don't want to get into individuals here, but you're you're calling out someone on Action Network. I've seen you do it a little bit on on Twitter also. Do you think it matters, I guess, number one? Like, do do certain people even have shame? Or is it possible in some sort of counterintuitive way that talking about the Vegas Daves of the world actually brings them more notoriety, which allows them to use it to maybe push their brand? I, I don't know. Is, is that a possibility? It definitely is a possibility. It's something I've thought of multiple times. Um, the problem, so does it matter? It matters to me. I okay. think that's the best answer I can give. Do, do I know that it matters? No. But like that episode in specific that you're talking about was our second highest viewed episode of all time. I'm not just here looking for views, but there's a, there, that resonated with a lot of people. People viewed that and they took something away from that. And I got a lot of good commentary and feedback on that. Now, do I take, like, do I take pride in putting other people down? No, I don't. I'd like to, you know, I was trying to do it in a manner which is, a lot of people will watch a video like that and they won't even see what's wrong with it. It just goes over their head and they just become accustomed to seeing that stuff. And I'm really trying to explain to people what's wrong with something like that. When I can smell BS in this, I've been involved in the space. I work with a lot of people in the space. I like to think I'm like a 90th percentile better in terms of total understanding of the space. I still have room to learn everything. I learn stuff pretty regularly as well, but for me, it matters. Like it's just who I am by nature. When I see something that bothers me, I don't internalize it and just like, oh, I'm going to push this, shovel this down and just let it go. I'm going to speak my mind. That's the way I am. Um, and I honestly, I don't want to say I don't care who it offends because I do, but it's not going to stop me. I'm just going to try to do it in a manner where I think it's more of an educational thing rather than a direct attack um, on someone. It doesn't always come across that way, but Stuff like that bothers me. I don't like when people misrepresent themselves in the space. And I don't, I don't honestly don't understand why they do that. I, I just, there's like this, everyone has to be a winning better. Like we know from industry studies that 99% of people are going to lose at betting, but yet out there, everyone that's, you know, talking about betting, everyone wins or, or, or says that they win. And it, like, I think it's time that like we encourage a culture where it's fine to lose. Like it's okay to be a losing, to, to talk about it for your profession and lose. I, I mean, a lot of people are coming to 
betting content, not for the picks, but for the entertainment value. So if, if that's why they're coming anyways, then who cares if you're a losing better or not, right? Um, yeah. the, the whole misrepresentation stuff just drives me up a wall. Does it matter? I, I couldn't tell you, Kevin. I honestly don't know. Like, I like to feel it does because when I do, you know, when I occasionally tweet my, my mind or speak my mind or talk about this stuff on my podcast, I get a lot of positive messages from people, way more than neg. I obviously get negative ones and I, I respond to those people as well. But I think people follow me because they appreciate what I do and the fact that I'm I'm pretty honest and transparent and, and I'm willing to speak my mind. So for me, it's important. Um, but I, I do, I mean, I do think about it a lot of times. It's like, if I call out this person, a lot of people that didn't even know this person exists are now going to potentially start consuming this person's stuff and following them. And uh, it's a, it's a double-edged sword in a lot, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as someone who shares maybe some of your, I know that you've, you've talked about negative, negative Rob and positive Rob in the past. I definitely have a negative Kevin and I'd say, podcasting is a good outlet to let some of that out. Cause sometimes Twitter, like everything can be negative or snarky or whatever on Twitter. So I do think it's good if you can actually explain it and go into it a, a bit more through, through podcasting. But I guess what I would say when tracking people's records, this is something that I also wonder about sometimes, sometimes is when I'm listening to someone, I, I like to think maybe I'm probably, I could be wrong in this. I'm not as experienced as you are in these areas, but I like to think that you can, parse out someone who seems like they have a good process or not and that is important to me with maybe not necessarily you know tailing what they're doing as a better but following what their what their thinking is out there in the market as opposed to looking at someone's record i mean how do you weigh those two things against each other because obviously there can be randomness and noise in someone's record versus what their process is i, I kind of lean towards the other but i'm not sure that's something most people can can parse out who it seems like they know what they're doing or not yeah, listen, I would never judge anyone on like one year's worth of NFL bets or something like that. I, I completely understand the variance. And even my best sport, like ho- hockey's my best sport by a mile in terms of return on investment. I've had losing NHL years where I return negative. So uh, there's just like a lot of randomness in the sport altogether. I do agree. Like for me uh, personally, like if, if I have a conversation with someone within five to 10 minutes based off the questions I ask, I can tell whether they know what they're doing or they don't. Um, just based off of my experience. And I do value a lot of the process oriented discussions, how people find value, how, how they got into the space, um, you know, their, their story and so on and so forth. I just, I honestly don't think it resonates with the vast majority of people is the problem. And that's why we get back to the whole, you know, the picks, the recreational content, you know, I don't think it's strictly picks personally in the space. Um, you know, I, I, I do a lot of content. I consume a lot of content. People would be shocked if they knew some of the content that I consumed because it's completely not what you would think uh, from me. But people crave a sense of community. And this is what I've really noticed, especially in the sports betting space. Um, I, I use the same example all the time. Some people love him. Some people hate him. He's built up a huge following. His name's Book It Trent, goes by Book It Trent on Twitter. Um, and I think his content is hilarious for the most part. Does a lot of TikTok oriented stuff, making fun of himself as a better, joking about himself, the losses. I think he's a very real guy who's just like, after a bad day is like, got torched yesterday. Like, don't even feel like betting today type of stuff. Or, But people will line up to tail that guy's parlays. 
on a on a daily basis. So now there's so many people consuming this content on a daily basis. They're consuming content from a guy who's outright saying that he's a losing better, or you can at least read between the lines. Why do so many people want to bet the exact same stuff as him on a daily basis? And it's because they're, they want to belong to a community. They want to ride the wave with him. If they win, they want to celebrate with them. If they lose, it, it kind of like is easier to swallow the losses together when everybody lost on the same thing. So I'm really starting to notice that now. Uh, I run an educational podcast for the most part. I interview guests. The reality is it's always going to be a little bit more niche because it doesn't really have the community aspect that I think most sports bettors, at least a lot of the recreational ones are craving. So uh, I'm trying to figure out ways to incorporate some of that stuff into what I do to to be a more on a human level. But I also don't just want to be out there giving picks on a daily basis of like putting together a parlay or so on and so forth. It's not who I am. But um, yeah, I, I, the content space is fascinating to me. I always pe- see, always see people saying like, oh, this is horrible content. It's terrible or whatever. It's like, let's well, get a lot of people are watching it. So somebody's doing something right. Now let's figure out what they're doing right or why people are naturally gravitating to that rather than just saying it's terrible type of thing. And it's always ways to improve it. But um, in terms of betters, yeah, the process oriented stuff. I love that. I I eat that up or, or whatever you do too, Kevin. But to me, that's like extremely niche. I don't know that a lot of people are, are really interested in, in hearing that they would rather just see picks from a guy or go to their record. Um, whereas I, I mean, I'm more interested in, in the opposite. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully, as you know, the space grows, there becomes more and more breathing room and ability for process-oriented people or more niche sort of markets to to, to build their their fan base there. Uh, okay, before we get into now, we've had a long discussion here, background discussion here, but I like talking about this stuff. So uh, before we get into the 2022 season, everything that's going on there, um, I want to tell you about DraftKings. This is pretty interesting here. That so now there's the next generation of fantasy football with DraftKings. It's their Rainmakers football, the first ever NFT fantasy game from DraftKings. Uh, millions of prizes building the ultimate franchise. Right now, everyone can get their first full starter pack for free. It is a simple game. You buy, sell, bid, and win player card NFTs of the biggest names in the game through regular drops and auctions on DraftKings Marketplace. Craft lineups of athletes from your NFT collection and earn points for touchdowns, receptions, and more, just like daily fantasy football. Build your NFT franchise and enter Rainmakers football contests all season long to compete for millions of dollars. The next generation of fantasy sports is here. Download the DraftKings Daily Fantasy app now. Sign up with promo code PFF. Click the Rainmakers tile and opt in to get your first card free. Plus, play for millions in prizes all football season while building the ultimate NFT franchise with Rainmakers football. That's promo code PFF. Build, play, win only at DraftKings. Contest entries dependent on type and number of NFTs held. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Robert, are you in on the NFT space, by the way? I am. um, Not so... Like basically I'm holding CryptoPunks right now that I purchased uh, a while back. I I went through three months of life where I was absolutely consumed 
with the NFT space. I, I'm I'm off that now. I'm more consumed with golf and getting ready for football season, but I do still uh I do still own some NFTs, yes. Yeah, there's definitely a natural marriage there for people I saw, whether sports betting, DFS, and other people that are going in there. Now you're 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 a little bit on the uh, aged side like myself. So I'm not sure if you're into this, but our other sponsor, Manscaped. Oh, all men strive for gold in their life. Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there's a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He's a big, hairless winning machine. And when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. That's right. Platinum package 4.0 from Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF. Manscaped's brand new platinum package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you bulk discount on Manscaped's top product. 20% off free shipping with manscaped.com that's 20% off free shipping it's time you enjoy the finer things in life and get yourself a platinum package for your platinum package not, not sure how that fits in with my audience there but well 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 we got it out there we got it out there into the world okay let's talk football 2022 uh who you're looking at your insight and analysis here um what team what teams actually but before we start with with names here there are all these different factors that go into team success here. Uh, offense, defense, special teams, strength of schedule, matchups, everything else there. H- how, how do you, is, is there like a pie that you're weighing these different things? Could you, could you encapsulate in that sort of way? Uh, are you leaning towards seasonal versus just looking at week one and being able to roll over your money that way? I think there's kind of a couple of different ways to try to figure out and narrow down who t- people may be interested when they're looking at betting the 2022 season. So I personally don't bet a whole lot of season long stuff unless I really, really love something. Um, because Is it just because it's it's takes forever to you just can't turn it over basically or yeah, essentially. So for people that don't understand, like you're basically when you're betting that something that long, you're giving the sports book an interest free loan in a sense where yeah, okay, it can be a decent size edge. You might have a 10% edge on a season long future, but you're gonna have to wait six months now for that bet to settle if you are a, a winning sports better and you're constantly making plus EV bets, you would rather just be putting that money into play on a daily basis and continuously rolling that over. So that's the only reason for it. Some people love to bet season long futures. There's huge edges to be had. They don't mind waiting for uh, the season to end so on and so forth, but it's not my personal preference with that said, I, I did bet a few this year, which I thought were gigantic edges. And uh, I know a lot of people who go down that path for me, during the NFL season, I'm mostly focused on full game sides and totals. That's my bread and butter. It's, you know, people would traditionally say it's the most difficult market to beat. Uh, I know people who would, you know, they laugh and they're like, I would book anyone in the world who's betting NFL, so on and so forth. I personally have not found that to be the case. Maybe I've been lucky, small sample size, who knows, but I feel like I have a pretty gra- good grasp on the league and I like betting it on a weekly basis. Okay, so does it matter the specifics if you're looking at week one? I would I would guess now. Let's just say, does it matter the specifics for for the matchups there beyond a general power rating for a team? How how are you building it? How does how does your opinion and analysis then flow into looking at a particular line and saying yes, this is this is something I think is bettable? Yeah, so week one is is challenging. So. Um... I think I've described my process before and I'll, I'll kind of put it out here, but I make general, I do have like a power rating type of process where I think these are what teams are worth. Um, and then I also do some sort of simulation on the side where I'm actually playing the teams head to head. So it's like a combination of things that I use to handicap games because I do think matchups matter, right? 
I always found, I, I found myself just betting power ratings in the past. And then you'd be completely ignoring uh, one defensive line that might have a huge edge over the opponent's offensive line. And I think that that needs to be incorporated where it's not really incorporated in a general power rating system. Um, so I've kind of found a way to build that in as well. There's just so much that goes into week one because you're working all off of previous year's data, right? I find that, you know, once you get to week, let's say seven, eight of, of the current season, you have a pretty generally good idea of what these teams are. Uh, for the most part, you're starting to weigh off priors and so on and so forth. Going into the year, it's a lot more guesswork. Um, and then like the the challenge, another additional challenge with week one is that there's so much time for people to bet this, right? Um, it's a it's a unicorn week because you have three or four months where people can get down on these games. By the time limits actually raise, um, it, it's just more challenging to find edges. You really have to go against the grain. Let's put it that way. Uh, in the first week of the season. So I, I tend to not have a lot of volume for the first couple weeks. It then starts to pick up week three, three, four, five, six, probably my heaviest volume week of the year, weeks of the year, then it dies off a bit again. But um, yeah, I don't know if I did an accurate job of, of explaining things there. You you can pick that apart as you'd like, Kevin. Yeah, no, no, I, I think you did. But maybe we can get into some specifics with some teams and then try to figure out why you may have particular opinions. Because there are lots of teams this year that I'm having trouble figuring out. But before we we dive into some of those, let's just look at teams that you potentially think could be underrated going into the season, not necessarily, you know, a particular matchup for week one or something like that. Like how, how do you go about identifying someone like that? Yeah. So for me, I mean, a, a lot of what it comes, I think people are very fixated on skill positions oftentimes, um, naturally through fantasy football, quarterback, receiver, wide receiver, so on and so forth. I think probably where the more professional better gets their edge from is being able to dissect the remainder of the teams better than the average person can, at least uh, in my opinion. Uh, and on top of that, like for me, I don't play fantasy football anymore. I haven't played fantasy football in five years. I actually think that gives me an upper hand because I'm not biased by yardage totals or things like that, that someone who might view a fantasy receiver as an elite fantasy receiver and I'll think that they're just an average receiver and what their productivity actually is to the team. So th those are some of the things that I think separate myself from everyone else. I do like to break things down into positional groups for the most part. Um, teams that I think have fewer weaknesses tend to fare better in the long run. And if you look at this historically as well, um, that's the case. The one, the one exception to the rule would be the teams with elite quarterbacks, which are just in a completely different bucket or category by themselves because an elite quarterback can basically carry any team to the playoffs, regardless of the skill around them. Or I don't want to, I mean, probabilistically they're more likely to than not. So uh, I do like to think, break things down into positional groups the way that I do like my seasonal rankings is I play each team against each other X amount of times in a simulation. And then basically I take the average winning percentages. I plot them out. That's how I come up with my rankings heading into the season. Some people will probably look at me and be like, oh, you're insane for having this team this high and this team this low. I think there are certain teams in the league that are just going to match up very well with the vast majority of opponents that they face. Um uh, the uh, Eagles, Eagles is give, give me the Eagles. So the Eagles, right off, right off the top, we're talking about a trench team, right? A team in the trenches who's gonna who's gonna be better than 
almost anyone that they're going to they're going to they're going to face, especially I believe they have the weakest schedule in the NFL. They have a weak schedule. To me, they have arguably the best offensive line, a defensive line, borderline top five, definitely top 10. Um, no significant weaknesses to me other than quarterback and running back, where I think that they're slightly below average in both. But I do think that the addition of, of A.J. Brown is just massive for Jalen Hurts. When you look at when things broke down for him last year, to me, I, I found that he often gave up after his first read, got on the move, scrambled to his right a lot, ended up chucking balls up or throwing out of bounds, picking up yards with his feet. When you now make Devontae Smith your second receiver, you now have two guys that, that can easily win one-on-one. And I think that that kind of plays to it is his advantage when he's scrambling out of the pocket, looking downfield, just being able to, I don't want to call them miracle throws, but those, you know, the escapability and just being able to make something happen, I really think is going to be uh, working in his favor quite a bit this year. But there's not too many teams overall that can compete with what the Eagles have at both lines of scrimmage. And we honestly, we saw the Bucks win a Super Bowl. They had Tom Brady. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not going to dismiss that they had Tom Brady a couple of years ago, but we really saw them excel in protecting Brady. And like that Super Bowl, especially the, the Bucks defensive line just killed the Chiefs O-line. It, it was a massacre for Mahomes. And teams like that, to me, are very, very challenging to beat in the long run. Look at the Rams last year. Actually, another example in recent memory. They're good on both, both sides of the ball. So um, I, I just think that there's not a lot of things that teams can, you know... I, take a step back. Like if you're a defensive coordinator planning to go up against the Eagles, I'd find them a, to be a very difficult team to game plan against offensive coordinator, trying to beat that defense. Very similar. I don't see a lot of holes. Don't know really what I would do. I have some ideas in general, but to me, that's a team that's pretty well-rounded altogether um, at several key position groups. And just the addition of um, AJ Brown is, is like, is, is massive in my opinion for that offense. So um and I'll just add to it as well. Dallas Goddard is probably the most underrated football player in the league. Like, honestly, I think he's in that top five class of he would not be a household name, likely because of fantasy purposes as well. And people don't realize it just does everything well and deserves to be like probably below that elite threshold of tight, tight end, but bordering on it. So I, I really like the team top to bottom. Um concerns that quarterback for sure but I, I think that team is built well enough to overcome even a below average QB this year okay so the Eagles right now uh I'm just looking at I guess it'd be interesting they're going against the Lions week one so that was mm -hmm. like everyone's favorite Lions there um okay so AJ Brown let's talk about AJ Brown for a second because I think there are some heuristics when it came to fantasy football at least where receiver changes from team a to team b you just fade that receiver because traditionally guys who have switched teams have not been very good but traditionally we're talking about free agents we're talking about team players who teams were willing to give up as opposed to this offseason you haven't seen these big first round pick for player type of trades happening that's accelerating now and maybe someone like stefan diggs coming to the bills blew that up because he also came via trade versus via free agency what do you think about the uncertainty of a player coming over to a new team because at least in fantasy football these guys like Tyreek Hill and AJ Brown they're discounted quite a bit as far as what they're going to do but is that just looking at 
production too much as opposed to effect on the field, which is going to be different for someone like the Eagles who probably aren't going to pass it as much. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really good question. I I, I per- personally do not really focus on the fantasy side of things at all. Like it, it, it's irrelevant to me. It doesn't matter. I do think that there is something to um, fits for certain players, depending on the style of offense they run, style of defense they run. As much as I even hate to say this, the depth of the playbook in a lot of cases as well. Now, there's no way to really quantify that other than maybe just keeping up with news and people really struggling to understand or just even watching game tape and seeing uh, a, a lot of stuff where the quarterback and receiver are, are not on the same page and it's consistently the same receiver or something like that. So I do think that there's there's something. I mean, he's not playing in the same style of offense, but in in the case of an A.J. Brown, like if you look at the Titans without him on the field, I just think of the – like the was it Thursday Night Football last year, 49ers game, where mm-hmm. that second half was just the most absurd thing I've I've seen in a long – he just completely took over a game and won the game for, for a team that looked, you know, hopeless on offense a, a lot uh, without him as well. Game-changer type of player, but that just elevates – like, you know, now that puts Devontae Smith, who had a very good rookie year – into a second receiver role where now AJ Brown's drawing a lot of coverages his way and he's getting an inferior cornerback in a lot of situations and so on and so forth. So just the, you, you know, you, you can't just think about it as AJ Brown is coming over. You kind of have to think of the, the completeness of the, you know, the rest of the team as well. Um, you know, I think about when the Vikings, when Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen are on the field together versus when Thielen was out last year completely changes the dynamic of the offense not because Jefferson's not a good player but now there's you know it's much easier to bracket him and for someone else to beat you which it makes it more difficult so all these moving parts have an impact not only like it's not only AJ Brown that I'm talking about obviously we can all recognize he's a good player it's what does it do for the rest of the team as well well it creates more Smith space for Devontae Smith Dallas Goddard now can have a coming out party at tight end, so on and so forth. So it really just has this cyclical effect uh, and this, you know, this drop down effect, I guess, on everyone else in the lineup. Yeah. Yeah. Getting, uh, getting Jalen Rager off of the field also is probably great probably point. Man. What a do. bust of a draft pick. Unbelievable. <laughs> I, I was yeah. kind of, I kind of touted him a little bit coming out of college. So I'll, I'll ignore that. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll wipe that all off of the, off of the internet. Okay. Let's, let's, let's go over to hater. Let's get to negative Rob. We like negative Rob. Uh, who, who are we negative on this season? Okay. I mean, this is very obvious, but I, I'm going to point out a team that everyone is negative on, but I don't okay. think the market is like anywhere near where it should be for the Chicago bears. Like the Chicago bears have historically bad vibes all over them. In my opinion, like they do not have a positional group that is above average, maybe outside of their backfield. Uh, Really? I mean, it's, it's just a horrible football team on paper. I don't know where these wins are going to come from. And yes, the market has slowly been adjusting down, but this to me is like, Worse than the Texans, worse than the Falcons, yet they're graded out as better. I don't, I don't really understand it. So that's the team that stands out to me. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really think the change in coaching could possibly help a team that O line is horrible, receiving options. Like this is not a res- disrespect to Darnell Mooney or anything like that. But when we're co- relative to other teams, they just, they just don't stack up. So 
they're going to be at some huge matchup disadvantages all year long, uh, even though they're not playing a great schedule either. And I, I, I just don't think the market is quite down enough on them as they should be. Yeah, there's too many instances when you're watching the Bears that you're like, oh, he's still in the league. That's interesting. Tajay Sharp. I haven't seen him in a while. <laughs> right. um, or other guys like that going off. Well, I guess that the, the X factor, everyone would say, this is not, no one would say surprise, is what is what can Justin Fields do in his second season? Now, there's a big, you know, obviously he's not being put in a position to succeed, but he can move. He was a guy who a lot of people thought could have been the second best quarterback prospect uh, coming out, even though he fell down to 11th in the NFL draft you have is does fields come into the equation here or are you just looking at the totality of everything there and it's like unless you have this outlier type of second season from fields it's not going to really matter yeah like that's what it comes down to for me at the end of the day he, he's playing behind an offensive line where it looks like Braxton Jones going to be the starting left tackle from the looks of things so fifth round pick starting at left tackle you got Lucas Patrick at center who has been well below average for the majority of his career. Really outside of Riley Reef, they're below average at every single positional group on the offensive line. Uh, you know, second receiver of Byron Pringle. Like what I just he just doesn't have the weapons, right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. It's nothing against Fields. I think he's just in a position where he's almost set up for failure because of the talent that's around him. I mean, go if you were to go, lots of people watch football, they play fantasy football or whatever. But if you were to go to most people, even an average casual football fan, and say, name me a player on this team's defense, and you threw out a random team, most people would be able to do that. With the Bears this year, maybe somebody gets Robert Quinn. Maybe someone knows who Roquan Smith is. But like, it's, it's just a, a mismatch of, of nobodies and below average players. So I, I, I just really I – don't, I don't know how – I never say never. It's the NFL. Got to think probabilistically. The probability of them being anywhere close to a 500 team, in my opinion, is extremely low. Okay. Let's get back to positive, Rob, then for a second here. Do you have any anyone else on, on the positive side? Or is negative Rob taken over? Let me look through it here. Uh, I, I like the Saints, I, I guess, relative to market as well. Uh, obviously, I know what I'm getting into with Jameis. Uh offensive line is it what it once was I think what what I really love about the Saints is the defensive front seven and I think that that's a nightmare matchup for a lot of teams uh, that they're going to play this season in particular so when we look at the Saints win total it's roughly around eight eight and a half you need them to be an above average team I do think that more often than not the Saints are a playoff team this year purely because that front seven is going to wreak havoc. Like the defensive line is is so, so good, underappreciated, not really talked about a whole lot because, I mean, I don't want to say that they don't have household names, but I don't think Cameron Jordan and Marcus Davenport are viewed in the same way as other elite defensive linemen in the league for whatever reason. I, I can't explain it, but they're not the, the, this, this quote unquote household name either. So I think relative to market, I'm pretty high on them. Decent receiving core. We'll see how Michael Thomas holds up there, obviously, um, and if he can produce anything. But Jameis has the weapons. It's not, you know, they lose to Ron Armstead. It's not a good offensive line, but it's also not a terrible one either. Like, they're probably somewhere around league average, maybe slightly below average as well. Enough to, that, that Jameis shouldn't be facing 
absurd amounts of pressure and, and creating a lot of turnovers there. So um, that's one team I, that I guess in the next team on the positive end of things that I think is a little bit undervalued. Yeah. I mean, Jameis was, was pretty good last year from, at least from an efficiency standpoint. And that was throwing to a bunch of nobodies, right? So I don't know if Alave is going to be good, but at least he'll be there. Jarvis Landry. I mean, reliable type of guy, Michael Thomas, it has to be the biggest upgrade. As long as Thomas doesn't, you know, go down in week one, it's just probably the biggest upgrade in wide receiver group across the NFL, just because they really didn't have anyone in, in any sort of uh, players to players going into last year. And it's not like people were making excuses for James based upon them. Yeah. It's all about the turnovers with him. And I guess we've never gotten our full LASIK Jameis. We haven't got, we haven't got right. a full year of LASIK right. Jameis yet just to see what happens there. Um, there's going to be some ups and downs, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty high on what they can do this year. And I'm surprised because at least some numbers that I calculated out, a couple of weeks ago, maybe it's changed. It seems like they're viewed as being maybe like slightly below average sort of team in the markets right now. And that seems shocking to me for the fact that they were on the cusp of making the playoffs last year. And maybe some guys are getting older. Maybe they're a little fragile because of, because of that. Um, But generally you'd think it would be an improved roster this season. Yeah. I mean, like here's the thing with Michael Thomas too, right? And we talk about the effect on the rest of, of the lineup. But now all of a sudden, like Marquez Callaway is your number four receiver Mm -hmm. and you have four wide receiver sets and he can now, you know, he can win against the corner that's going to be on him and so on and so forth, rather than having to rely on him for more production. So it's like this trickle down effect of a player like that returning, even if he's not the caliber that he once was, his presence on the field just dictates, you know, the type of coverage that they're going to give and so on and so forth. So, you know, Jameis played well last year. It's probably his best year since 2017. I, I mean, arguably he was better in 2017. It's pretty close, but we, he's coming off of 2020 where he was, you know, it was rough. And for the most part, we know what the problem is over the course of his career. And he struggled with decision-making at times. Um, so it, it's, it's by no, like, I, to me, there's a pretty large range on what the Saints could end up being. But I think their defense, even if Jameis is good, and like, even if he's not, Let's say we we get safe Jameis, which which Sean Payton tried to turn him into last year. Like I remember Jameis about to take a sack, throwing like a touchdown or something. He got to the sideline and like Payton reamed him out. It was just like, what are you doing type of stuff? Even if you get the safe Jameis where, okay, he's not taking a ton of downfield shots, but your turnover margin at the end of the game is zero, then I think the Saints are a fine team this year. It's basically just... Don't get killed in turnover margin. Let the defense do what they can do. I think it's a very, very good defensive squad. Um, I, I don't. Know, I like their prospects. I, I think they're like a sneaky fringe dark horse Super Bowl contender. That's oh, that's hot take. Um, I like that. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where I'm always trashing their front office for for like giving up everything and playing into the future, but then I like the team. So I don't know. It's, I guess it's one of those things that the bills will eventually come due perhaps, but getting Jameis and, and sliding him in there has been helpful for them. Yeah. I think in terms of the, the reason I said that to be clear is that we still got this Tom Brady situation going on where no one has yeah, any yeah, idea. That's a, I think that's interesting to, to me. Is it not like, I don't know. Like, what the, okay, here's the thing that got me is bowls. I don't have an exact quote. I'm paraphrasing here, but when he said, I'm highly confident he'll be back. It's not like, wait, excuse me. Like he's not, he will be back. Right. It was, it was actually like that. That was a hint that there could be some doubt. And I, I think there was more reality 
to this whole thing of his family and Giselle not wanting him to play anymore and everything else during his retirement decision, then some people are trying to pretend like it was it was completely a ploy to get out of town during the offseason. I got a message on August 5th from someone who is is very close uh, or, or knows the Buck situation, which ha- basically told me that something really weird is going on and no one can really explain what's happening and that someone within the team was getting a very weird vibe. And I just kind of like dismissed it of like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what this kind of stuff is, but I have no idea what it is. The, the, it, it's, but there's been no more clarity. And we're like yeah. two weeks later now. And if anything, it's just becoming more and more unclear. You start to get injuries on the offensive line. I think the two centers got hurt for them. If yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. The center and the backup center. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, uh, who knows? But it, Tom Brady doesn't come back. This is like the Bucks are sorry. The Saints are now very live for the division. And I've seen crazier things happen. You win the division, you get a home playoff game. Like it's a great spot to be. Yeah, yeah, and again, Jameis has kind of like some Eli vibes also as far as being able to go on a, on a playoff run. I, I could see something like like that happening. All right, can you give me one more one more negative here, and then I have some teams that I want to just shoot shoot some ideas off of you and see what you think about them. Uh, New York Giants would be another negative for me. You're not uh, buying the uh, the transformation of Daniel Jones into Josh Allen. I listen. I, I love Brian Dayball as an offensive coordinator. I really did. What they were able to do with Josh Allen is is great. There was a, a smaller sample size of Josh Allen being bad before they turned him good. There is a larger sample size of Daniel Jones not being good, not being able to face feel pressure, I should say, turning the ball over quite regularly. Uh, I don't think Tyrod Taylor is going to be the answer if they switch to him at some point or another either. So to me, this is, again, another team where I think they're getting a little bit of hype because people think, oh, it can't possibly be worse than the coaching staffs they've had in the last five years, which is probably true. I just don't think that they're going to be able to fix Daniel Jones in any capacity. Uh, Kenny Galladay, don't know what's happened to the guy. Looks like he's running in cement at at this point. Uh, They have one of the worst tight end units in the league. Offensive line unit, below average. Uh, in my opinion, at least some people might debate that, but to me, they're closer to somewhere in the 20th to 25th range in the entire league. Not a huge fan of the defense overall, uh, at least not in terms of high end talent. So uh, I I don't see it for the Giants this year. Um, and and this is like this isn't a divisional thing either, where I think Washington and Dallas are going to be good because I don't. Uh, I think they're probably underperformed versus market expectations as well. I just don't. I don't see where the Giants are just going to manufacture these wins from. Um, pretty high total relative to last year. Still Daniel Jones. I, I can't get there with this team. Yeah, I mean, I generally fade coaching um, expectations in either direction, but especially this, this what's going on with the, the Giants. And the thing, so the thing is for Jones, and I think, We're talking about Allen versus Jones. I mean, it is pretty extraordinary for a quarterback to break out in his third season, but it happens. You know, it has happened in the past. I know it hadn't happened a lot in the recent past, but it has happened in the past. I look at quarterbacks who ended up being at least passable, who were below average, pretty well below average, their first three seasons, just like Daniel Jones was. And it's basically Alex Smith, who was low-key awful, his, yep. first, his first season in the league and pretty bad his next two seasons. Um, 
Jeff George, John Brody. We're going way back in time here. Phil Sims and Vinny Testaverde. So Testaverde mm-hmm. and George are pretty talented dudes who finally ended up putting together being okay later on in their careers. I'm not sure Jones is even that talented, honestly. And then we're talking about Alex Smith level of play. That's not Josh Allen level level of play there so that worries me but what worries me the vibes about the whole team is I just don't understand why they didn't approach this season new GM new coaching staff Gettleman came in he he already did the rebuild right here it failed yeah it it didn't happen It, it, it it's a bust Kenny Gallagher is a bust everyone's a bust they should have been like Chicago Bears style, uh, Miami Dolphins style a couple of years ago, uh, Cleveland Browns 2016 style, trying to just clear the decks and just stink and next year start over again. You're, it's, it's not going to happen. So like, I don't get continuing. I don't get it when a new regime comes in and then lets this rebuild die out for another year or maybe two rather than just starting over. Right. I, I, and like the offense that they're running is like the spread offense with this emphasis on on creating good matchups. So they'll probably try to get uh, Kadarius Tony in space one on one a lot and so on and so forth. But to me, Daniel Jones is not the guy that's going to regularly hit those throws either. Like he's an inaccurate co- quarterback. He feels pressure that's not there a lot of times as well. And then oftentimes he just doesn't feel the pressure that is there, which is the weirdest thing. <laughs> he doesn't thing. feel the pressure that isn't there. That's the, I remember when he first started. Remember he had that good game against the Bucs like at the very beginning of his career. And everyone was asking for apologies for anyone who, who doubted him right. as a prospect. And someone said that he like stands tall in the pocket. And there's a thin line between standing tall in the pocket and just being totally oblivious that you're about to get sacked. And I feel like so that's, that's who Jones is. Agreed. I mean, listen, I've never been a fan, so that's kind of the one that I'll have to pat my back on for. He's just been below average his entire career, but it's the turnovers that kill them on top of it. Like, you know, it would be one thing to be bad, miss some throws. Okay, you get out there and punt. But when the amount that this guy fumbles relative to his dropbacks are are nuts. Uh, training camp hasn't looked a whole, you know, hasn't been accurate. Granted, it's training camp. You know, you see all sorts of different things or or whatever there. But I mean... I don't, I don't know that they're necessarily going to be a run running an offense that's suited for him. I don't think, like I said, Tyrod comes in to run that offense. I don't think it's suited for them either. I think you need an accurate passer that can get the ball out quick. Um, I, I don't, I, I just don't like the, their prospects this year. I hope that Dayball is successful at some point or another. Cause I think very, very highly of him and what he was able to do with that bills offense. But I think they're in for a world of hurt this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think Dable's fine, but again, a guy who, you know, didn't really elevate to the the head coaching job despite being in the league quite a quite a while before. And yeah, Josh Allen had the great turnaround, but then again, you know, Dable was there with Josh Allen in years one and years two when he wasn't doing anything. So right. uh, he probably has to answer some questions about about that also. Okay, let, let me give you some teams that. But maybe we'll start with the Browns because we have the Deshaun Watson news, and I talked about some of the implications of it the other day i mean it's kind of icky to talk about anything browns related here uh i probably wasn't forceful enough when i talked about it yesterday kind of again hammering them on all of the lack of contrition all that stuff but god i've I've been over this so many times before and his you know presumed guilt and everything and it's like he's not going to get banned lifetime banned and he's not going to go to jail so these are kind of little like fringe differences is is a full season is 11 games whatever ends up happening but i guess i'm a little bit surprised that when I look at the Browns, I, I think they are, uh, what is it? It's minus 
225 to make the playoffs. I guess I just I just see them as being a pretty good team, though. And maybe people are down on Jacoby Brissett. I mean, I think Brissett stinks, too. But they're, again, one of these teams where, at least from the offensive line's perspective, they're pretty good. And this is not Brissett behind the the Dolphins offensive line that, that we've seen before. So I don't know. Are, are people underrating them? And maybe there's just this stink around Watson, which I, I don't fault people for having that. But I guess purely objectively looking at them, I'm surprised – they're not rated a little bit higher because Watson was kind of a top five quarterback guy and they have all these cheap contracts this season where they're, they're not all in this season, but things are going to get much tougher going forward. I think, I think a lot of it is the fact that they also play in the same division as the Bengals and Ravens, which a lot of people seem to be high on this year. So I think that's a contributing factor. I mean, I don't think Brissett is nearly as bad as people think Brissett is with that said, I do think you need someone like Watson in this offense that's going to elevate the like the receivers that like this it's not a good receiving core right Amari Cooper yeah, yeah. Peoples if Jones Cooper goes down you're in you're in a world of pain Cooper Cooper goes down you got Peoples Jones you have David Bell Anthony Schwartz like that that's a real problem for a guy like Brissett I I personally think Njoku's a bit of an overrated tight end as well they have Harrison Bryant there as well but it, it I mean this is a team that I think is is going to probably try to run the ball a lot more now with Brissett in there behind a above average offensive line. I'd say probably somewhere in the number five to number ten range in the league, which is is totally fine uh, as well. It's just I, you know, can the defense because this is not, this is not a team that's going to score a lot of points with Brissett, in my opinion. Can the defense be good enough to keep them in games? Possibly. Like, I think the, the defense a bit of an underrated unit when you look at it overall, but they're, they're a step behind Cincy and Baltimore, in my opinion, um, clearly with Brissett. If we had Watson in there, I probably would say Cleveland should be favored to win the division with Deshaun Watson for a full season and if he had a full. Um, but there is that big a downgrade. And I, I like this the play action type of offense with Jacoby. I don't know. I, I, I could. I think there's a huge range of outcomes on this team as well. I think one of the challenges makes it, uh, inherent challenges is that Baker Mayfield turned the ball over so much last year that what happens to the Browns if they just get a guy who doesn't turn the ball over and just takes his five yards at a time, third and fifteen, picks up his eight yards, they go and punt. Can the defense do enough? I go back and forth on that a lot. So personally, I you know I think I think they're like a mid-range team with Brissett. Yeah, I mean, the thing about the defense is for the last two seasons in a row, they've had a much better success rate than they've had actual expected points added per play because they've gotten killed on explosive plays and they've been awful on third and fourth down. down. Those are things I expect to get better. I mean, it's possible things aren't aren't quite as good there. But again, I'm going to kind of hope for or or assume there might be some some regression there. Another team that I wanted to to put by you is the Patriots because – I always like to flip back because it's it's burned in my mind when they won that um, apocalypse weather apocalypse game <laughs> against the Bills last year, and this is because I was high on the Bills. I was like, "This is, Bills are a good underlying team." I know they were awful in some games, the Jaguars game, all that stuff happened. I couldn't believe like how low people were on the Bills after that, and how high people were on the Patriots. I remember. There was an article in The Athletic saying Bill Belichick is in 
Sean McDermott's head and what happened the next two times they played, right? So um, now the Patriots, and I get there's chaos there. So maybe I'm like, I I will just flip on a team. And again, all these coaching concerns, I think are real. I think they matter, but can they matter more than people perceive them to matter? I would always lean no in that direction. What do you think about about the Patriots? Are you worried about how how these all these pieces are going to come together? Um, the Patriots are, I, I would say if, if you had to give me a list of five teams that I think are the toughest to figure out, I would put the Patriots on my list as well. I yeah. think the offense is going to be better than people think. And the defense is going to be much worse than people think overall. Uh, I thought Mac Jones had a good year for the most part. I think a lot of the struggles, um, were sometimes just the offense being a little bit too conservative in nature. I don't know that that's going to change. They're presumably running some sort of zone blocking offense this year. I have no idea what they're going to do in the passing game. I like the receiving core more than most. Like, I don't think it's a good receiving core by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that they have, like, they can put four guys on the field in Parker, Myers, Bourne, Aguilar, and they can generate some sort of matchup advantage somewhere. I like the back. I thought, I thought Tyquan Thornton looked okay too. And they're their second round pick. And there's talk about Aguilar maybe not making the team. So that's a, I mean, if, if he can't even make the team, I think again, they have depth there. Right. And then on top of it, like outside Cole strange on the offensive line, I have no idea, honestly. I mean, people thought I just know he doesn't the... wear gloves. They'd have to talk about that five times a game. Right. And, and, you know, he was supposed to, you know, some teams had him in the fourth round or whatever Patriots yeah. picked him in the first but, I mean, the offensive line is pretty solid. I mean, Isaiah wins a good left tackle. David Andrews, a good center. Uh, Onwenu at guard last year was solid. Trent Brown at right tackle. Like, I, I think the offense is fine. It's just I look at the defense, and it's the first time in a long time where I'm like, wow, this is, like, pretty exploitable defense. Kind of holes all over the field where, you know, you don't really have a stellar pass rush. I think they can be had in the running game. Secondary is a huge concern. So, I, I don't know. I think we, I, I feel a very different vibe from this Patriots team this year where I feel like they're going to play a lot of high scoring games. Um, I think overs are in play, um, but it, it's, it's definitely a team with massive uncertainty. Yeah, no, I, I'll agree with the defense. Like if I was going to lean a particular direction on a unit in this team, I think the defensive assumption is too high for, for them because you're, you're too much benefit of the doubt there. But if I was going to lean offense and if I was going to lean Mac Jones, I just think both of those two things are probably – people are probably too too low on them. So all that comes together with – I don't know. I don't know where we end up. Yeah, but right. it's it's somewhere where they've got a few different things going in different directions. How about the Cardinals, another hated team? I would say, at least bad narratives, bad vibes, bad vibes all over the place there around them. Obviously, the great start to last season fell apart at the end of the year. Kyler Murray, everything that's going on there, their defense, they again, they they can't really figure things out personnel wise there. Do you have any opinions on them going into the season? Oh, their, their secondary is is or at least their cornerback unit is low key terrible. Like, yeah, uh, they're Byron Murphy, Marco Wilson, Jace Whitaker, Antonio Hamilton. This is this is bad, bad news, I think, for the Cardinals, especially when you start to look at the defensive line with J.J. Watt probably being like your only solidified pass rusher. He's older guy. Who knows if he's going to get hurt or not? Like, I, I think that this defense could get taken to the woodshed a lot this year. Can the offense make up for it? P- possibly. Like, I, I like Kyler Murray probably more than most. I think he gets yeah, a... Yeah, that's know, where I, I mean, that's where I am with Murray for sure. Right, and then... But, but I mean, they're without DeAndre Hopkins for a, a larger period of time. 
I'm I'm not like super high on on Marquise Brown, AJ Green, Rondale Moore. I don't I don't know. I I I'm inclined to think that this team has a lower floor than a lot of people realize. Like it could just be one of those where wheels come off, Kingsbury's fired after five or six games type of thing. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Cliff. For those who follow me, they would probably know that over the years uh, as well. But no, I, I, I don't I don't see a lot to like about Arizona other than the quarterback position. Uh, but I do think Murray's going to he's going to have to put this team on his back in order for them to get to the level that they were at last year. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of like Marquise Brown. I don't know. I mean, the thing with Brown is he got targets for the Ravens. Now, he didn't do enough with those targets. I think with Jackson, I know everyone wants to say Jackson, you know, you can't besmirch Lamar Jackson or else you're, you know, you're uh, Bill Polian or something. But <laughs> I, I do think you put him in an offense with another quarterback who's maybe more similar to a real quarterback. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. He was successful throwing the ball down the field to Christian Kirk last year. And he had a few plays where he even threw it down the field to someone like Andy Isabella who can't catch the ball. And I do think that's one of his better throws is just a deep, a, a deep pass. So I, I'm kind of interested to see how, how those two guys can, can play together, but I'm not necessarily confident they'll get together. And yeah, I, I have no idea why you talk about Kingsbury being fired. I think he would be on the top of everyone's well, not top Matt rule. It'd be like the rule division is all by himself. And then he would be next, maybe on going to get fired, but then they just extended him. Right, like a, it's a it's so years. weird. I would I would put McCarthy. Time too. What I would put Kime McCarthy. I, I, McCarthy in tier two, but I know it's yeah. it's it's the, like honestly, I, I I do like to break teams down by uh, positional groups a lot, and I think about Arizona, and for me, above average quarterback, above average receiving core when Hopkins is there. Right. But aside from that, can I say that they're above average anywhere else? I don't think so. Like off the top of my head, I I really don't. Maybe borderline average, you can argue some positional groups. So it really just comes down to Murray, who you know you're gonna take. He's gonna have to take another step forward to carry the team. But um, and and I, I, including in the positional groups, I would go coaching staff, where I I don't think highly of them either. I'd consider that below average. So it's um, I don't know. I I could see that being a really bad football team, and with the vibes like you mentioned, Kevin, that are kind of coming from that team, and with Kyler just gotten this extension. If they get off to like a bad start, oh boy, it's going to be uh, a lot of attention on that team. Yeah, well, I mean, we have we have we have LASIK, Jameis. We also now have Kyler uh, with his Xbox, his Xbox Live subscription taken away right. from him. Maybe maybe they'll just go next level this, this year. We don't really know. Okay, one one last team, and I don't know why, but just instinctually, I'm surprised the 49ers are as high in everyone's estimation. Because if you look at like a power ranking type of system, I think most teams would have most people would have them. I don't know, maybe in the top six or seven, you know, that sort of range, maybe eight with a second year quarterback who we know nothing about. He basically hasn't played in three seasons to really know that much about has flashed a little bit. Um, And, you know, I don't love Garoppolo, but he was a guy who gave you top five type of efficiency for long stretches of time. So you're going to have to replace that at least. And not that he's great, but that is the bar that he kind of set at a lower volume there. And then he fell apart, you know, with the injuries in the playoffs. So I'm a little bit surprised. And they're also a team that people are assuming they're going to have the best defense in the NFL. And that makes me a little 
queasy sometimes to think about that. What do you think about the 49ers? So I currently rank them at number 13 going into the season. Okay, so you're definitely my... lower than, than the market on, on the 49ers. I am. However, I'm going to put a caveat in here that I will adjust my rating on this team very rapidly depending on what I see out of Trey Lance early in the season. Right. Because I have him being really bad right now, which affects my... Uh, and I watch what is uh, what is him being bad based upon like what, what what's what's feeding into that a uh, pretty small sample size of the games that he played last year I mean I can't okay. I, I you know that that's the reality of the situation I don't know how much I can put into beat writer stock around preseason so on and so forth I, I really don't think that I mean I can formulate my own opinion I think I am probably too low on him considering what Jimmy was able to do with this offense like to me the 49ers with an above average quarterback are probably my favorite to win the Super Bowl. I strongly believe that. So that's kind of the difference I have between Trey Lance and an above average quarterback right now. It's monumental, but he didn't look impressive to me last year. I don't know what he's going to look like in this offense, but the only reason that I say, I think I'm probably pretty low on this team is I do think that Kyle Shanahan will find a way to get the most out of Trey Lance. Like if they run that QB option offense, West Coast, heavy bootleg, play action type of offense. I think he can succeed in that. Didn't work out for him last year all that much, but the reins have been handed over to them to him. I think they'll be more aggressive with him. Like a lot of the, the games I watched with him last year, um, it was the, it was just super conservative play calling. Like they, you know, I don't think they had much trust in him. That might tell you a lot about Trey Lance going into this year, but I I, I can't. I can't put them in that six, seven range with what I've seen out of, of Lance so far in his career. Yeah. I just think their offense has the potential to be a lot. Um, I don't know how to describe it. A lot kind of like clunkier in a way this season where they're not doing the over the middle of the field on schedule uh, run after catch Jimmy Garoppolo specials that they were doing there. But what we have seen from Lance and we saw it, I think more the 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 Arizona game was just whatever they were that was yeah I'll just throw that in the garbage that was not, I guess in the Houston game they didn't really do anything for like three quarters of the game and then they had a few chunk plays and we've seen that in the preseason too when Lance has been successful in the preseason he's had these chunk plays so they're going to be reliant upon these chunk plays but guess what there could be a quarter two quarters three quarters a full game goes by where if you don't get one of those chunk plays I don't know if the 49ers offense is going to be very good. I also think he's going to face a lot of pressure up the middle um, and he's going to have to make some throws on the run and get out of the pocket. So I don't like the interior of their O-line at all. Uh, McKivitz, Brendel, Brunskill in the the middle there. I think that's a well below average interior relative to other teams in the league. I think they're set at tackle, obviously. But I do yeah. think that, I, I, I don't know, like young quarterbacks facing pressure up the middle, how do they end up handling that? At least he's built with legs where he can probably get out on the go uh, throw a little bit more, pick up some yardage on the ground. Um, like if I was, I'm not a player props guy, but if I was targeting any overs for player props this year, I'd be looking at Trey Lance rushing yards. If it's in the 500s, I think he's going to far exceed that because uh, a lot of the option, like I said, uh, and just the interior pressure that they're going to face, I think he's just going to be on the run so much this year. Yeah, and I think he's good as far as making the big plays for these like broken play sort of touchdowns, but that seems to not necessarily fit well necessarily with the advantage that you'll get from from Shanahan so it'll be interesting it'll be interesting to see to see but he has had like some he has 
produce some some big chunk plays. Obviously, a lot more big chunk plays in a very limited sample versus what we saw from Garoppolo. But I think people are maybe leaning on that a little too much and saying, this is what you couldn't do with Garoppolo. See what you couldn't do with Garoppolo? And I agree, but the things that he hasn't proven that he can do the things that you could do with Garoppolo at the same point in time. I, you know, I've always maintained and uh, that I, I still believe this. Like people talk about Garoppolo like he is abysmal like he shouldn't even be a starter in the league or and I don't agree with that like he was he effectively ran this offense like if if we just look at pro- productivity um EPA per, per drop back for Jimmy like he he did a good job of of what they wanted him to do and executing on the offense obviously the upside isn't there obviously you miss a throw in the Super Bowl that would have won them the Super Bowl because uh, he doesn't really throw deep balls a whole lot and you know yeah. overshot his target but but what they asked him to do, he did effectively for the most part. Did he throw two or three balls a game where you'd have a mild heart attack because it was right over the middle of the field into you know linebackers' hands? Yes, he did. But th- he was productive in his role. And when Trey Lance was the quarterback of the 49ers last year, he was not productive in that role. There, so there was a, a difference in the output of both of these quarterbacks. Um I want to make this sound like I'm ragging on Trey Lance. I think there's a lot of upside with him, but based off what we've seen so far, it's just very difficult for me to just say, oh yeah, right right away, this team deserves to be in the upper echelon of the league. I think there's just so many question marks around him. Yeah, no, I I would uh, would agree there. I mean, I've been somewhat of a Jimmy Garoppolo stand. So, hey, Jimmy Jimmy Praise is also always welcome on... (laughs) on this podcast and you know he was he was okay with the in limited sample he was okay with the patriots and he he's won i mean whatever qb wins are worth he has been the qb wins guy for for them all right rob uh thank you so much for your time here again follow rob on twitter at rob pozzola congratulations securing that uh for your twitter <laughs> handle there um anything else you want to plug we talked bet stamp we talked circles off uh podcast everyone should be listening to that and anything else you got for us I will just say that I have, I do have a big announcement coming down the pipeline, uh, probably right around the beginning of September. Um, you can always break that, news here if you want. If you I want mean, to just, I'll, I'll leave no it one at that. This. No just, 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 just tune, uh, tune, uh, tune in for a big announcement, uh, late August, early September. I got something else that's in the works that I think people will be very interested in. Uh, it's centered around some content as well. So, uh, that's it. I'll just do like the, the quick tease, uh, and, uh, hopefully, like I said, I'll announce it in a, in a week or two. Okay. Well, we'll be looking out for that. And again, uh, follow Rob, everyone. I, he's one of my, my favorite guys to follow out there. And uh, glad to always see you and people who I respect in that sort of manner have a lot of continued success. So thanks again for joining me. And to everyone else, I'll be coming back at you with a solo episode on Monday. Until then, everyone have a great weekend. And I'll be talking at you then. Thanks so much.